just wanted to get us all in the mindset of like a, you know, some kind of like weird occult ritual because, um, the you know, root can sometimes feel like this, you know, very inside baseball kind of game. Why? Just because you need to play it like five or six times to even understand what's going on? <laughs> Why? Because the only way to describe it is to look at your friend confused and be like, do you know what asymmetry means? <laughs> And then to just slam down the arcane tome uh, that is the rule book, just like on the table, <laughs> rattle all the meeples. Not to interrupt your thought, though, Kyle, but like the only way I describe this game, I'm like, OK, what's relatable about this conversation? Uh, we play woodland creatures. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that is the entry point for sure. Is yeah. like, like, it's cute. Please stick around. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, you know, the thing is, is like Root is well worth diving into. So if you're like a beginning root player, my sincere wish is that you don't like get stuck in the kind of murk of the first play and then feel discouraged and and leave the game. But that, you know, the opportunity awaits, like it'll blossom and become a whole thing. It's it's really great. Um, As long as you can have some persistence through that first game or two. Wait, are you convincing people to play root? What are you yeah, doing? I think the attitude of this podcast is that we're very pro root here, yeah. and we do think it is worth it to play. Yeah, we, mm-hmm. yeah, big yeah. big fans over here. Yeah, I would say we're biased towards root. And that's what we'll be talking about for the next two hours a day: is how much we like root. <laughs> <laughs> Not to like reinforce the like you know basic tenet of the existence of this podcast or anything, but like seriously, like I'm, I'm spending a lot of time now uh, trying to teach a board game to like five-year-olds and man it really feels like i'm teaching root to an adult like (laughs) five is such a young age to be learning something as complicated as chess it's true even just winning and losing is pretty rough at five yeah 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 we actually we almost never reach a point at which someone has won or lost a game right there's just isn't enough time to like set up the pieces and then (laughs) play a full game like we don't get close. There's obviously exceptions to the rule, which we'll talk about more today with like little children geniuses. Uh, but like five years old, there's just not uh, the cognitive ability to grasp all of the rules that are involved in that game, let alone strategy, right? I'm going to subtly disagree with you. I think it okay. is completely possible for a five-year-old to grasp the rules of chess. Mm-hmm. However, I think that as soon as you have like little pieces that are really cool looking and fun to hold <laughs> on a board and there's a bunch of them and there's like other things happening it's just way too overwhelming to like ever even get into the the weeds about like what a specific move might be <laughs> and they're not even cute like root pieces are so you're I already know, starting from like a less way. distracted perspective right? yeah okay so a castle can move as far as it wants what <laughs> what is going on chess makes no sense well, that's why it's an S tier piece, though, because it's just so cool looking. Yeah, yeah, that is true. I um, I did do this thing today where I was like, "All right, everyone, this is the word I want you to remember from today. It's crenellations." <laughs> <laughs> okay, I I have some other ideas about why you're struggling to teach five year olds. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mister Atchison, <laughs> what does crenellations mean? It is very funny to be like, everyone say crenellations after me. Because, I don't know, one kid asked you, he was like, what's the like square bits on the top? There's a, there's a $10 worth that I can, I'm going to tell you right now. <laughs> anyway, my whole thing is that like all of these kids would love Root way more than they like chess. Mm-hmm. Start getting it into uh, charter schools, guys. Root, 
let's let's make root the game that measures society's intelligence instead of chess right they're both just <laughs> board games but let's make root the one where we're like oh it's okay that she's a drunken alcoholic she's really good at root i do want to see speed root masters in the new york parks just going at it <laughs> oh my god yeah yeah root hustlers would, yeah. In the park would be oh so funny god. yeah like oh this guy he's always playing the birds like <laughs> <laughs> The guy in the hat's a real bird hound. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back to the like occult initiation <laughs> speak from before. I do want to say though that while it is all well and good to like learn the rules of root and have a fun time with that, there are some kind of unspoken rules that I think we should uh, talk about and illuminate more today. Yeah, they might be unspoken. But they're not unclear, all right? These <laughs> rules have been etched into stone and delivered from Root Moses down on the mountaintop. Today, we're covering the 27 Root Commandments. <laughs> 27 Root Commandments. Boom, 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 boom. I just imagine them being chiseled in by like very devoted lizards. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah, only recoverable by the badgers. <laughs> That's true. Mm. That's true. Fair point. Yeah, maybe these predate the woodland. Are the badgers the chosen people? No, I think they're, um, after all the chosen people died, I think the badgers are the ones stealing their jewelry. <laughs> yeah, I believe. I think the Badgers are choosing money, I'm yeah. pretty sure. <laughs> or at least victory points. So wh whatever they're getting out of the forest, they're at least using that to like legitimize their claim to dominate the woodland. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm eager to learn about what these commandments exactly are. But before we do, we have another uh, herald noise to make for Root News! Root News! <laughs> hot off the presses and actually, actually hot off the presses, you guys. Wait, what? There is a new law of root that was just updated. This is the Marauder update of the law of root. There's not like too many like earth shattering changes, but thousands of tiny little ones. There's a new <laughs> keyword called force, which is going to have some implications on the wording of false orders. Uh, gameplay wise, I don't think the rules will be different, but... I think in an upcoming edition, perhaps, if there's ever like an errata of some of the cards, I think false orders would use the word force. So there's some kind of um, periphery wording changes that just make things a little bit more clear. I'm intrigued by yeah, yeah. This, this new wording. Sam, can you just talk about what force is to, to be clear the the law of root that you're talking about is the rules as written for each of the key terms and concepts within root right because there's a root rule book and then there's also the law of root which really just bullet points it down and even actually numbers all the all the rules right yeah so there's a learn to play root which is just like how it's helpful to hear the information kind of for the first time and then there's a law of root, which is a little bit closer to like an encyclopedia, and, it, and it's very clear and has a glossary and all this, right? Okay. Um, so the law of root is the thing that's gotten the big update. But you guys, I'm bearing <laughs> the lead here. There's actual things that matter that have changed about the game we love. The first one, and you guys, let's open a bottle of champagne. There are no more 
three-way coalitions. A vagabond yes. <laughs> making a coalition with a player cannot do so if that player is already in a coalition. You can have 2v2, but no more 3v1, guys. Woo! I love this change. This, to me, just feels like a no-duh, uh, because it totally breaks the game if three people are on a team against one other person. <laughs> like At that point, it's just such a, like, beat down that it's not even fun <laughs> just not in the spirit of the game at all so I, i'm really glad about this change my memory is that it happened to marcus the cat in a tournament game isn't that right mm-hmm. in a tournament yeah. game oh that's yeah brutal. in the winter tournament last year marcus um got 3v1 <laughs> where all, wow. all of the other players won the game and marcus did not that's especially painful to go sit and play a game and then not just not only does somebody beside you win but Everybody besides you wins. Yeah, it's like Jenga. <laughs> yeah, we're just determining one loser in that case. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, okay, so coalitions have changed, all right? Yes. Great. Uh, another thing is uh, this had this was kind of a, a, a very temporary problem, but the warlord's oppress has been clarified. When you uh, purchase mercenaries from the Riverfolk Company. Those are not enemy pieces. Therefore, you can use them for oppress, but you still need to have a Lord of Hundreds piece in that clearing, so a mob token will be fine. And there can't be any enemy pieces there, which means if there is a Riverfolk trading post trade there, post, right. that is an enemy piece because only their warriors count as non-enemy pieces okay i think that's a sensible clarification it yeah. is and it makes thematic sense too <laughs> well it's hilarious like we've been hired uh and then everyone's like okay great is this clearing oppressed like nope sign still open <laughs> yeah still a sign up can't do anything about it this clearing is free from oppression still got some <laughs> boots for sale <laughs> anybody what a free right. society everyone lives in well if you don't buy it now do it uh, do it next turn because it will burn down next turn. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely burning down. <laughs> also, uh, there were some clarifications, and I wanted to say this uh, because this is following uh, one of our ad set episodes here, is that in advanced setup, uh, the fourth place player, the player going fourth, chooses to set up the first landmark and set up uh, the first hireling and chooses their faction first. I think we had like uh, in our episode, we weren't exactly sure like what the turn order situation was. So that has been clarified of like, if there's two landmarks, uh, the fourth uh, player sets up the first one, the third player sets up the second one. Um, mm. And then hirelings, oh it's the same thing with the three hirelings, fourth, third, and second player set up those hirelings. Okay. I like that. Mm -hmm. There's a little bit of an iterative process with uh, those sort of additive things as well, which mm -hmm. is cool. Map and deck are still chosen by the group, however that works. That's fine. Yeah. We were talking before we started the podcast about how brutal fourth, going forth is. Yeah. And they really need that first selection of something. And they get landmark and hireling to choose. Mm -hmm. And faction. Oh, that's cool. And yeah. Well, yeah, and faction. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then... Uh, the last thing w we wanted to clarify, because we did read these cards in our advanced setup episode, but the wording was changed like I had predicted. It said, uh, so the ad set faction setup cards, where they used to say, whose nearest enemy homeland is furthest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the Zen Cohen. They now say at least two plus clearings away from enemy homelands. Oh, 
that was so much clearer. Yeah. Who's wh- what was the f- old phrase again? <laughs> Who's whose nearest enemy homeland is furthest? <laughs> I do kind of want that to be one of our T-shirt slogans. <laughs> <laughs> it it is like who's near this is so. It, it's one of those things. Like the longer you look at it, the less sense it starts <laughs> yeah. to make until you suddenly are like trapped in this like weird contradictory thing. It, honestly, it's like picking up sand. Like I have it, and then it's just going through my fingers, and I'm like, oh no, I don't even know what it is anymore. Wait, but is it near or is it far? Oh, that's right. Or is it? It's far. It's the near this that's furthest, baby. It's fur. Okay, so uh, that, yeah, that's, that's much more the clear. new law. All right, but we've got some other root news, namely. Uh, Nitro Rev, listener of the show and community member, has started a YouTube channel called Nitro Rev's Root <laughs> Channel. All right. He's got how to plays on both the Badgers and the Rats. This is content that isn't somewhere else. No one else is teaching you how to play these factions. It's not uh, too much of a strategy guide, it's a little bit more of a how to, but honestly, Nitro Rev. Uh, shows you how to in very efficient ways. I've noticed his like example turns are like pretty strategically sound example turns. He's not just going through through the motions. Nitro Rev's doing actions that would make a lot of sense for your first turn. So definitely check those out. I'm sure Jake will have a link to that in the description of this podcast. Yeah, really well made. Love the stuff. Um, so I'm always just delighted when we have people like graduate to become content creators mm-hmm. uh especially for root cuz i feel like the more stuff that's out there just that's more more things for people to hook into and uh yeah nitro rev stuff is very good so go check it out yeah kyle you also had a puzzle video go up very recently that's right yes um it has been quite a while but uh i have been mulling over this puzzle for a minute it's a uh the last in my marquis de cat puzzle series uh puzzle number 6 and it is very different from the other puzzles. I, I mean, I guess this is just an ad to like go watch my puzzle video, but like, <laughs> it was a game that was shared by Mike T, a member of the Root community. Mike T! And it is so brain-bendingly great. It takes you through what probably should be your last turn as the cats, and then just right when you're about to win the game, you realize you can't do it. <laughs> you can't win this turn. And then all your plans just, like, fall apart and you have to totally, like, rethink the turn and uh, apply some creativity to, like, make it through to your next turn. Like, how do you get to your next turn? <laughs> uh, anyway, it's it's really good. I uh, I encourage you to go check it out. Yeah, those right. are always uh, very difficult for me to solve. But, yeah, that one's particularly interesting. I liked the new take on that one of, like, you can't win this turn, so how do you make sure you win next turn? It's such a root calculation. It's one of those things that I feel like that's hard to target um, if you're thinking about playing root um, from a like very strategic standpoint. It's one of those like skills that is difficult to like, you know, do push-ups with. Mm-hmm. Um, how how to suppress your the three other factions into getting to your next turn? Like, because that comes up in almost every game. Yeah. At a, at a certain point near the end, where you're like, do I have another turn or is this it? Like. Anyway, good stuff. Go check it out. Um, hoping to have another full game up in the near future as well. I'm like three quarters of the way through the uh, four-hour slugfest, mm-hmm. uh, which is a game VOD that no one will ever watch, but really should be watched because it's really interesting. 
Um, but it's just way too long. So I figured I would condense it and show it as a game. Very cool. Nice. Yeah. I believe that Slugfest was in the winter tournament. Is that true? Yes. Yeah. At last... uh, uh, actually, no, no, no. It was a uh, preparing for the winter tournament last year game. That's right. That's right. So, yeah, it, it makes it even more obscure and, and unofficial. Um, another reason why no one would ever watch it, really. <laughs> even though they really should because it's so cool. But, yeah, I, I wanted to present it in a little more of an approachable way, like not having to sit there for four hours and watch <laughs> yeah, a VOD unfold. Yeah. Well, speaking of the winter tournament, it's happening right now! <laughs> By the time you're listening to this, games have already happened. Oh, that's true. I'm so excited to see how the, like, what we think about the new factions and how it all stacks up is going to be so influenced on how this winter tournament goes. It's where the best players are playing all the new stuff as all the rules are officially, like, coming out. So this is where the scene is happening tune into these games and you'll be as caught up as anybody about Ruth. here's what i predict for the winter tournament we have two brand new factions going in and their interactions while kind of known to some people are are largely still being explored so i think therefore there are some kind of s secret strategies or like pub stomp type strategies that are kind of on the table and i am super excited to see some player go for a really crazy greedy play with one faction that no one has seen before and totally run away with the game that's my prediction yeah i'm excited i want every faction to win that's my big prediction i think every faction will win a game first corvid victory you think yeah definitely gonna happen i think with advanced setup and just the number of games something goofy is gonna slip through i can't wait this is gonna be awesome Sam, if you um, are player number four, what faction are you picking? Of any faction? Yeah. Uh, I think so much depends on what's at the table, but birds. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, man. I just that felt like such a compromise. <laughs> I do. I don't. I don't want heat, and I don't know what else is there. I don't want to be Lord of Hundreds. I just don't have a good enough understanding, and they just make people mad. And I'm not ready to handle that. Um, <laughs> molds, maybe. Molds are always a good bet because you can kind of turtle up. Hopefully, the factions... I mean, that's the best part, though, is Lord of the Hundreds and the Badgers are factions that go out and affect the board. So mm -hmm. I think the way I used to play, the way I would get far in tournaments might be a little less viable than it used to be. <laughs> I might have okay. to change. Oh, Sam. We will see. We will see. I'm sure by this point we've both um, won all of our games and yes. are in the winner's bracket. And <laughs> I think my first game's in like December. <laughs> I did not sign up right away. All right. Well, shall we get on to the tablet commandments? <laughs> yes. Hold on. Let me just blow some of this dust up. <sighs> Let it be known. That here forward, we have the 27 root commandments, 27 things that by following these commandments, a root player will keep a game in balance and avoid unnecessary heat. Yes. And by unnecessary heat, we of course mean you'll go to root hell if you don't Absolutely. follow the commandments. Yeah. Watch out for root hell where... Where coalitions are encouraged. <laughs> oh, no. Where there still could be a 3v1. Yeah. 
and favor cards cost one less crafter. <laughs> and oh, there no. is no bunny dominance. No! No! <laughs> and every leader is builder. <laughs> that sounds great. Oh, um, build it. No. <laughs> It's my ghost. Um, I get, no, you're in root hell. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so here we go. We're just going to go through these. These are not in order. Root God and Root Moses did not put these in order. We mixed up the tablets. We don't know what order they were supposed to be We shuffled be the in. tablet before we started reading. Yeah, you have to. You got to shuffle them up. All right, here we go. <laughs> I'm just going to start with this one. Thou shalt not. And by the way, when I was doing this, I realized it was thou shalt not. I thought it was thou shall not. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Shalt not. You know, we can also go shallant. Thou shallant. <laughs> They're all negatives, right? Which actually a lot of the Ten Commandments are also negatives. Just what not to do. Yeah. All, all these things are what not to do. Root is a game <laughs> of restrictions, and here's 27 more. Thou shalt not storm the keep on turn one. Mic drop. Yeah. I think I think this is uh, this is a great rule that's not in the rule book that everyone should just pay attention to because like what, what did we say at the top here this some rules to keep the game in balance and avoid unnecessary heat mm-hmm. yeah i think if there's one thing you can do that throws the entire game out of whack and <laughs> puts a huge target on your back <laughs> it's storming the keep on turn one yeah there is nothing as petty as a cat without a keep at the end of turn one <laughs> They don't even care. They're going right. to sink their own game just to, like, scratch you. <laughs> yeah, few people know that actually that unlocks the third victory condition for the cats, which is just vengeance. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Burn it all. Burn it all. <laughs> um, because they can be board wiped, too. It, it just is like an extra concoction of rage and despair. It's fantastic. Yeah, don't do, don't do um, it if you want to keep friends at the root table. Yeah, table. definitely. There's no reason to. And you don't want to go to root hell. Again, these things are hard and fast rules with no exceptions. Isn't that right, Jake? That is correct. <laughs> <laughs> we all know how much you love sweeping generalizations and absolutes. I, I've i been quiet up until this point because I just hate the word commandment. <laughs> We're all lapsed Catholics here, Jake. We're all dealing with it. Yeah, no, I know we are. But <laughs> I do like that they're all framed as negatives too. Like, <laughs> <laughs> do not do this thing. I guess here's the thing: is like there's always exceptions to the rule, and we've tried to find rules that don't have many exceptions. Like there will be some right. for sure. And for those of you that are writing up your blog post about it now, just slow down on the typing and just go with the caveat that like this is a generalized "don't do these things" to keep the game fun and and like realistically balanced right yeah and i guess the understanding is is that if a specific situation arises where you must break this rule isn't it better to know the rule and then intentionally break it for some compelling reason Mm -hmm. because i also feel like if you have a actually compelling reason to break a rule like commandment to sorry to break a commandment to (laughs) shattereth a commandment (laughs) i also feel like that doesn't draw as much heat because players will be like, oh, well, you had a reason to do it, not just... Yeah. It's an excuse when you get to root hell that you can tell the devil, who is, of course, the scoundrel, uh, that that's what happened, and then he would understand and then maybe give you a pardon. 
Totally, totally, mm-hmm. totally. But okay. first, you'd have to read through all the old rule books and figure out which rules have changed up until <laughs> oh, the new God, This is root hell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, some like menial clerical work to. <laughs> the otters' prices are all 10. Oh, no. <laughs> and all they have are dominance cards. <laughs> um, well, speaking of, that's a great transition to our second commandment. Again, no order on these. Thou shalt not overfeed the otters. Oh, this is a big one. This is a big one. I feel like this is the what defines overfeed the otters is frequently the conversation at the table when they're in the game. Yeah. Like, at what point are you overfeeding them? I also feel like this is a rule that you can invoke to convince other people to not purchase before then purchasing yourself a hundred percent well i want to say before you start invoking this rule a lot of people consider overfeeding the otters giving them one fund like people are very stingy about feeding the otters period so what's divine overfeeding paying for for any of the services you better know what you're doing you better be winning the game soon right right right. Yeah. yeah like that's why this is a is is a murky one, right? Overfeed, but four feels like pretty like don't do that unless you really need to. If you are buying two things at three, if you're giving them six funds, it's like what are you doing? If you see that the two other players have bought from the otters and you're considering also buying from the otters, it's like now they are winning. Like we, you have to understand what you're doing. Now I like. It's not overfeeding the otters if you hurt the otters. Mm. And then they have to use the the money to rebuild themselves. Then they're not getting too many funds because they have some of those funds have to be set away to rebuild their own infrastructure. So that's why this is a little murky. If we were to, heretical, I know, reframe this commandment in a more like positive phrasing, it might be something like, uh, thou shalt maintain the karmic balance of funds. Sacrilege! Burn him! <laughs> no, no. no, where's that mob? <laughs> Get him! Thou shalt not covet thy otter's goods, right? <laughs> like, what are you, what are you buying so much to that the two players before you bought stuff for a high rate, and then as the third player before the otter's next turn, you're also buying from them? That seems like that situation won't come up very often. But if it does, then yeah, this is a good situation where where Sam's mentioning of like, then you should be bopping them as part of your actions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, if all three players are buying from the otters on the same turn like that, I think that's just the straight definition of overfeeding. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) Don't make them fat and happy. Yeah, it's just also one of my least favorite ways to lose a game. It's like, oh, so we all did a little too much. And you know in that game we were all yelling at each other for buying too much. you know. (laughs) And then they won. And it's like, yeah, well, we were yelling about that the whole time. Well, he was offered such good deals. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, I had to. It's like, well, <laughs> you didn't have to. They won. You know? Nobody had coins. I wanted them. <laughs> <laughs> I really needed riverboats. Come on. <laughs> yes, I think this one, this one makes a lot of sense to me. What's next on the tablet, Sam? Oh, let me read. Let me try to Hidden read. under some mud there. Go ahead and scrape it off. Thou shalt not. Forget to hit the vagabond. Probably should have <laughs> okay. been the first one, but this is this is a no-brainer. The vagabond must be dealt with, and you must help. I feel like, again, we could just phrase this positively, and it makes 
it's just as fine. Thou shalt hit the vagabond. <laughs> Thou shalt not forget to. Sacrilege! <laughs> oh, please. <laughs> Here's where I would try and differentiate it, though, Kyle, is that thou shalt hit the vagabond means you might need to go out of your way to do so, which is thou shalt not forget to hit the vagabond is if he's in range, you need to punch, right? Because the vagabond always needs a little tamping down. So as part of your turn, it's part, your, your responsibility to look at the vagabond, see if they are hittable, and then hit them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, you pay rent, pay for utilities, <laughs> you hit the vagabond. You yeah. it's, it's your civic duty in the world. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jury duty sucks, but have you ever tried hitting the vagabond? <laughs> for real, though, this is one of those, you know, this obviously would never make it into the law of root in any meaningful sense, but root players have learned the hard way over many, many years and many, many games that... If you just give the vagabond space, they'll just straight up win the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you have to get in their face a little bit. You know, root is a war game, and you really have to prove it with the vagabond because it's so easy to just kind of like sit back and let the vagabond like chill because it's just one dude you're running around. But no, he can't get lulled into that false sense of security. Got to go hit him. <laughs> Yeah, and it sucks because it doesn't get you any points, but it does get you into root heaven, all right? And that is what this is all about, is avoiding root hell, getting into root heaven. And in order to do that, you got to punch a raccoon. Yeah. Would this be a sin of omission, I guess, if you forget to hit the vagabond? Yeah, that makes sense to me. Man, all these this like Catholic vocab words are like just <laughs> still in there. It's oh, really weird. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> all right, our next one. Thou shalt not put a suited card into recruit. This is, of course, for the Erie dynasties, uh, adding cards to their decree. I don't even follow this one, all right? This one is where I'm a little bit of a sinner, all right? Because I'll put a suited card in recruit like nobody's business. All right? Here's what I'll say. I think there are orthodox r- root denizens who right. will be extremely like puritanical about never putting a suited card in recruit. However... I think all of us here at the table can freely admit that, you know, we're a little more like reform eerie players. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying it's preferable, but I've done it. All right. I feel like everybody's done it. Sometimes on a Friday night game, I'm feeling a little loose quick and I might be like, you know what? I'm just going to recruit and bunny. (laughs) And you should see the looks I get at that table. I'm going to hear about it on Sunday, let me tell you. (laughs) I was blackout drunk. I put three suited cards in to recruit. I only had one fox roost. (laughs) What was I thinking? (laughs) Yeah, uh, if you need more clarification on why this is a bad idea, check out our bird's guide or our versus bird guide where we go into... Uh, this issue a bunch but I think you guys got the gist you're especially vulnerable by putting a suited card in to recruit the rule of thumb is don't do it but this is again one of the ones that the reform rooters can be a little bit lax on I like that for these absolute commandments the fourth one in you immediately before you even provided any aspect for it you're like I disobey this all the time (laughs) (laughs) yeah 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 we didn't even speak. We spent more time talking about why we break it than why we should follow it. <laughs> well, that's not true because I feel like there's like four hours of two episodes that are about why you should follow it. Fair point. But... We don't need to reiterate that. <laughs> of avoid doing it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's well. I, here's what I'll say. It's it's a strong suggestion. It's a commandment. It's a right? commandment. God damn it. 
<laughs> yeah, hard to be wishy-washy about this one, but I, I think um, break break this rule at your own peril. Yeah. That's what I'll say. Mm, there it ask is. for forgiveness it- afterwards. You should be all square. All right. <laughs> Thou shalt not write off the Woodland Alliance. Mm. Yeah, underestimate those pesky mice at your peril. Mm-hmm. I've just, I mean, this is one of the first lessons you learn in Root is that these guys can score like 15 points on a turn if everything's cooking. <laughs> that is not the first lesson everybody learns in Root is that the Alliance can score 15 points. How many times have you learned that lesson? Once? I, you only have to learn it once, Jake. That's how information <laughs> never, works. I have never experienced that before. I've experienced I've experienced Alliance swings. 15 points. Yes, I feel like the Alliance is the first faction where you're like, oh, no, they're really good. Yeah, that's how I feel. In in Root, I feel like every Root player has their Woodland Alliance horror story. Mm -hmm. They're like, yeah, I I was at 23 points. I had turmoil two turns ago, but I was having a real strong comeback with Commander. And I was actually all set to craft and and have a big turn, but then it happened. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The well, Woodland Alliance spread sympathy yes. like 19 times yeah. and scored like 55 points. It was horrible. <laughs> it was horrible. I, I let them keep the board. Like, I <laughs> couldn't even look at it after that. <laughs> I guess this is the problem with your guys' examples is the numbers are insane and we're trying to provide guidance for this. They scored 7,000 points. It was insane. I, I think 15 is is so doable. It is within range, yeah. But common? What what's the record that we've seen? Eighteen, something like that. What, what are we talking about when saying don't write them off? When they're at fifteen points, be scared of them. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Yeah. You you no matter you where everybody to, else is at the table, really. You have to recalibrate your. You're, you're all in one turn at that point. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You have to recalibrate your threat compass when it comes to the Woodland Alliance, mm-hmm. and I think it's a bit easy if you see their score marker kind of like lagging behind the rest. Yes. To say, oh, uh, you know, I. I could, you know, set up martial law or whatever, but it just doesn't seem like it's that big a deal. I'm going to go after somebody else who's a bit, you know, further ahead in the pack. But don't write them off. They'll come back for you. As the Badgers are reading these tablets out loud in the clearing, there's one guy in the back. He's like, just write them off. (laughs) (laughs) To be fair, he's probably a member of the Alliance. Yeah, he's like, I got some really nice paperwork from him. (laughs) It's totally me with a sympathy sign in my hands. Yeah, I got sympathy for sympathy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um are we good with not writing off the woodland alliance yeah it's fine <laughs> write them off they're fine jake bolded a couple of these he's like i've got some things to say so i want to give you the opportunity i, I bolded a couple because they didn't make full sense to me but you provided more sense for this one now so okay I, I right, sure, right. all right well let's see how you react to this one <laughs> thou shalt not neglect to check the outcast suit before discarding Again, I think this could be just thou shalt check the outcast suit, right? Like, Have you been in a religion, Kyle? When are they like, you have the option to do this? This is like, no, you can't not do this. Religions aren't about let's go do something. It's about what we're not going to do anymore. Yeah. yeah, you're right. The restrictions are helpful. I mean, especially when it comes to the lizards who are full of religion mm-hmm. and restrictions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, it. It's it's such a mindfulness lesson, I think, in root to, you know, it's it's like recycling. Mm-hmm. You know, you just check the label and like wash it out before you chuck it in the recycling bin. 
just to make sure that it is actually recyclable <laughs> mm-hmm. and that's not just garbage that you're making someone at the recycling plant throw away. <laughs> and um, dominance cards are the um, that uh, symbol that plastic companies made to look like recycling symbols, but it actually isn't recyclable. Um, mm. Because like when you put those away, you're like, oh, I don't need these dominance cards, but you're giving the lizards exactly what they need. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and the lizards only recycle dominance cards. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, just, just check the outcast suit. You know, try and be a good denizen of the forest and uh, direct the righteous anger of the lizards at your opponent in a different suit. <laughs> <laughs> or, or keep them off balance by switching it to a suit that is that's going to switch it up for them and make it not hated. Yeah, that, that was my main thing is like, don't let them get a hated outcast for nothing. Like, mm-hmm. if you'd rather have them have a hated outcast, like, let's say, in Fox Clearings because your buildings aren't there or something, that totally makes sense. This is just being mindful of when you're discarding cards, don't just think about what you'd want in your hand because there might be something that's more consequential in what you're discarding. Yeah. Never neglect to check the outcast. <laughs> Never neglect. <laughs> don't not check it. <laughs> <laughs> don't not check it. All right, here we are. Thou shalt not let the crows flip to win. If you can count, then you can prevent the crows from winning the game. Right. You don't have to be Albert Einstein to figure out if they can win on their turn. And rest assured, someone at the table will let you know. They'll be like, hey, wait a second. (laughs) (laughs) They got 13 points. They're going to flip on their turn or whatever. It's like someone's going to alert the table to the danger. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's it's up to everybody to prevent that from happening. It's usually not that hard. No, but. it's not hard, but you can't let them flip to win. Like that's on everybody. You can see it so clearly and it doesn't even cost you an action to stop it. Like just don't let them flip to win. If they flip and then they come up with a couple surprise crafts and then they battle a couple tokens and they win, they deserve it. But you can't let them flip to win. Yeah, make them... Work for it. Yeah. I almost had thou shalt not let the crows win. That was my first (laughs) pitch of this, but I thought it was better to say flip to win. That is better because you're right. The hidden aspect of what else they could do on their turn, you don't need to feel as guilty about losing to them that way. But like if they get it on a flip, what were you doing? Yeah. 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 You're going to a special place in root hell for that. (laughs) Yeah. That's that's (laughs) the last layer. That's where you have to defend the pass for zero points. Or actually, it always provides negative one point. <laughs> and you're snared there. And you're snared there. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Here's a great uh, old school one, guys. Thou shalt not craft a tea in games with the Vagabond. Oh. As delicious as it sounds. Come on. We know that the tea just puts the Vagabond in a winning position, right? <laughs> it just gets their whole engine online. Yeah. Those wheels are greased with tea. They get five actions every turn. Their actions are better than everyone else's. Uh, can this be don't craft tea early or just don't craft tea ever? I would say the rule is don't craft the tea. But right. I think at the end, you could get away with the points and seeing that the Vagabond's not close. Right, right. Or even um, in the middle. Well, you gotta that's be pretty the whole thing, right? I'm just trying to find a way to sin here. <laughs> when, when it's time to craft right, the tea right and when it's time to withhold i think i think there's a bit of a game above the game going on there or like a bit of a meta game 
in terms of when the tea gets crafted. Because, again, like, the tea's a good item, right? It's two points, and there's two of them. So, you know, it's, it's What's a it good resource. What's it cost to build it? Yeah, just one mouse. Right. It's very cheap. Well, that's what I'm wondering like, is like, so if we're telling people not to craft tea in the games, they'll always, when they draw it, if they're truly obeying this and avoiding root hell, they will use that card for what it is at the earliest opportunity. But I want to say that like, well, maybe in the mid game slash late game, it's valuable to hang on to that for an easy craft, especially if you are someone like the crows or something that's like getting cornered and you have very few crafting pieces or whatever. Well, you just got to realize the like risk reward there because right. there's a bit of a prisoner's dilemma type scenario which is that like well if nobody crafts the tea then the vagabond is at a disadvantage and the table can have a nice game (laughs) and the table can enjoy this experience (laughs) but if one person crafts a tea then they get an advantage that no one else gets and the vagabond gets an advantage and it's really the calculation is like do you think you're gonna win or the vagabond is gonna win (laughs) So the later in the game it gets, I think the more acceptable it becomes mm-hmm. to craft a tea. Okay. Because, you know, if it's the last turn, like, Vagabond's not going to be able to use that tea. Yeah, right, right, right. Um, but, yeah, if it's turn one and you craft a tea, going straight to root hell. Yeah. Yeah. What did you expect? <laughs> Thou shalt not dominance. Boo. <laughs> Jake says boo, Heresy! I know. <laughs> it's... It's Jake's favorite card in the game. Jake, how about you tell us why we should dominance? Why we should? Yeah. Or why we shouldn't not. Because <laughs> you can win the game if you do it. That is, uh, if I, hold on, let me look at the rule book. Oh, wait, wait, it hold is on. The... Jake, have you ever won the game doing it? I think so. <laughs> I wasn't Sometimes I don't know the difference between reality and dreams. Yeah. <laughs> so... Maybe yeah, I feel like Jake belongs to a different sect of <laughs> the root religion than we do. He's yeah. like over in if like, it, if it is possible, sect. it may have once happened. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I I just it feels crazy to have this be a commandment, even though none of us ever really go for it in a realistic sense. It is the objective of the game is to win, and this is a card that allows you to win the game. Yeah, yeah take the reins of power into your own hands or paws. <laughs> Or feathers, and really just just take that victory condition and just wrench it off to one side and say, "I'm going for this now." Thirty victory points is the one true winning condition. <laughs> um, Sam is a clear pointist. Yes, I am a I am a pointist. Um, I would direct you, Jake, towards the episode we did on dominance, where we kind of all just said it's not worth doing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, the gospel according to Dom. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I will listen to that episode again. I believe I was there for that one. Yeah, I remember I was coming back from a soccer game, so maybe not believe everything I oh, say. Oh, that but... episode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there was a hat trick. It was wild. We shouldn't dominance because it's just too easy to thwart us. Is that what we're saying? Yeah, it's very easy to thwart, and it comes at great risk, right? Yeah. You have to give up the normal victory condition of 30 points. Yeah, you are locked in to this new victory condition, which is incredibly dicey. Like, almost in a literal sense, the chances are astronomical, usually. Or it's at least very preventable in a normal root situation. My whole thing going into the winter tournament is to keep my eyes and mind open to dominance, though. Like, how sweet would it be to be like, everyone's like dominance and they're writing it off. No one's even checking for it. 
You know what I mean? And then to be able to surprise people, that'd be pretty sweet. But again, you would be going to hell if you did that. <laughs> You'd be locked in You'd to be, go into well, hell. Sure. Yeah, that's right. You got no <laughs> chance of getting that 30 to heaven. Yeah, at that point, it's like the points didn't even matter. You'd just be like, I had so many points. And you're like, we do not care. Yeah. <laughs> you, you chose this path. <laughs> <laughs> Any other reasons we should be considering uh, dominance? No, I don't have good reasons. I just like it's there and it's it's the objective. So don't write it off. But uh, I just feel like it is tantalizing, but ill-advised. I was wondering with with the addition of the lost city, does that increase your options a little bit? Right? Yes. I was yeah. thinking about that. Oh my! Because you only God. have to have three clearings. And when we played, uh, when we played recently with Lost City, I was kind of eyeballing the dominance, not in a realistic sense, but I was just like, "Oh, this really opens up my options now." I mean, you theoretically could gain rule over five clearings. I mean, at that point, unless they've been randomized, very fortunately, you're not going to do. You're not going to gain all five of them in a strong way. But you're making a lot of options for, you know, th- to hold Jeff, the three. Creating a lot of homework to fighting. I mean, yeah. mm-hmm. here's you break this rule at your peril. Yeah. It's my <laughs> phrase now. Yeah. Break it at your peril. Yeah. You are the inquisitor. It's a long shot in any case, I, I would say. You're spelling your own doom. Yeah. If you if you go in with just a dominance card in a dream, chances are likely <laughs> you will walk away from this game not having one. Oh, another good t-shirt, a dominance card in a dream. <laughs> <laughs> Thou shalt not be surprised by an ambush. <laughs> you know they're in the deck, especially with ad set. You know that they're in people's hands. Oh, man. I I like this one. I think this might be my favorite one because this one is, like, super pragmatic. Mm-hmm. You know, I think some commandments are, like, a little preachy, but this one is this one's great because it's just telling you plan for the worst. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, e- expect that someone's going to just ruin your day and try try to go in knowing that. Well, well, th- that's the thing of I love the nuance or I love the specificity of the words this is thou shalt not be surprised, right? It doesn't actually mean the same thing as you should expect it. You should just expect that it's possible, right? And so it doesn't mean that you should limit your plans to be like, well, I can't move in there cuz they'll ambush me and I can't move in here cuz they'll ambush me. That's not what the what we're suggesting. What we're suggesting is is when you get ambushed don't be surprised. <laughs> like, don't don't let your plans hinge upon not being ambushed. Yes. Right? Yeah. yeah you guys got on me about the double negatives. But yeah, well, no, I, I agree. Yeah, the differentiation no, I, is key, yeah. I think it is right though, right? Like you can do things in like accepting an amount of risk. Like you I always think about it with the birds, right? You don't want an ambush to come between you and turmoil. Make a different yeah. plan. To where you can't be ambushed, or you got another place to build just in case you do get ambushed or something, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like, and maybe a corollary to this commandment might be in the law of root, players are explicitly allowed to search the discard pile at any time. Mm-hmm. At any time, you can search the discard pile. Use that power to determine which ambushes have already been played. Therefore, if an ambush for a, a suit for a clearing that you're about to go into in battle has not been played yet, don't be surprised if you get ambushed there. Um, but if it already has, like, you know, by all means. Or I guess if the bird ambush is out there, but right. you know what I mean. Check for, You can check for the ambushes and, and kind of calculate back of the envelope style. How likely is it that I'm going to be surprised by an ambush? 
I like this one. Yeah, that's. I think it's the best one too. I think it's it's definitely a thing that you gotta just plan for, just plan for it. Yeah, you can't pick and choose those these you guys. Um, I these just, are all commandments. Well, I'm about to <laughs> I'm about to disobey this next one. Oh, this one. <laughs> all right, here we go. <laughs> Thou shalt not sit back and see the tower go uncontested. To clarify, the tower is the landmark that. Uh, in the original printing of the mountain map would go in the very center in the pass. And it generates one point for per turn for the player who rules that clearing with the tower. Uh, and so what this commandment is all about is like, thou shalt not just hang back and allow a player to accumulate points over the whole game for free. Mm-hmm. Uncontested. So go contest the tower. It's It's six or seven victory points. To give to one person, and Jake's like, just give it to him, right, Jake? Yeah, yeah that's exactly what I said. Just give it to him. Yeah, that's a good fair framing of my religion. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Jake. I believe Jake said, don't not give it to him. Yeah, correct. <laughs> like, it's just one place where a tower will give you one point. There's plenty of other places on the map that can give you a point if you discard a card. It's called all those passes, right? Or what are they called? Uh, covered yeah, paths. The, the covered the paths, paths yeah. right? And there's also three other factions at the table doing other things than that one faction who's just getting okay, a but, point every turn. Now, But Jake, <laughs> how much of this is an explicit strategy on your part and how much of this is dependent on whatever faction you're playing? If the point leader is taking the pass, it's different. If someone is sitting uncontested in the past but is doing jack crap on the rest of their turn or is being fought in other places and is really hindered, I don't really care that much. It really is dependent okay. upon the score. I, I don't think this is a a, a commandment that uh, exists in the ether so much. It exists in like what that person that's holding it is gaining from holding it. I mean, obviously, there's more intricacies with like uh, the connections for wood for the cats or whatever holding the past means in terms of rule for other uh, conflicts. But I don't care that much about one point. And I've seen way more situations where factions have lost massive armies fighting for something that's really not that important in terms of one point. Um, you you had a, a kind of like Freudian slip before, I think, and almost said Mechatol Rex. And I do actually think that the pass and Mechatol Rex have a lot in common for, for this reason, where sometimes it can be a bit of a you know, lanternfish um, it's like the center of the board. Everybody theoretically yes. wants to go there. And so a lot of kind of like pointless battling happens. Mechatol Rex is a great example. For those of you that don't know what this reference is, it's for Twilight Imperium where the center planet, which is the capital planet, can theoretically be worth a point if you hold it and you flip a certain strategy card on your turn. Now, here's the key to that, Kyle, which is you're right. Mechatol Rex, my slip was probably was because I was thinking about it, right? It also is overly contested and people have lost massive amounts of battles because I've been the person who's held Mechatol Rex but not had the Imperial card to gain points from it. And everybody's like, well, Jake has Mechatol. He's had it for three rounds. I'm like, guys, I have received zero points for holding this and I've just had every conversation <laughs> be about me. Like, that's that's the thing. It's like it, it, it only really matters if it matters. And a lot of the times the tower is just another point at the end of your turn. People are getting points every turn. If one player has the pass for the whole game that is six yes. or seven points that's right? is that what was that what this is saying thou shall not let one player that shall not let one player have the pass uncontested for the whole game right in a sense it would let them basically skip a whole turn sure. or start like one full turn ahead 
in terms of points like basically letting them start at six points and try and make it to 30 before you so is anybody in that does sense, this happen i but i do think jake is right in that like if somebody is playing where they can get six or seven points and they're not a threat to win then yeah you don't need to worry about mm-hmm. giving them the point Fair. i think it is it obviously does depend on who's taking in what what position they're in yeah i feel like we played a game not even too recently where it was like either the otters or the lizards were sitting in there and yeah they were gaining a point every once in a while but they were getting hammered everywhere else and it really wasn't making much of a difference I don't know. I, I, like I said, I mean, all these commandments are situational, right? I think this one's uh, a little a little blankety to to care too much about one location. Well, and it's interesting too because you were talking about the covered paths, but soon the tower's just going to be another landmark, and so mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. you know, and maybe fourth place player who chooses their faction sure. first can put that tower right where they want to start you know a tower in the winter map oh boy that's a different that's a different circumstance right where they like the moles turtle up and suddenly Mm -hmm. they're like it's hard to get over to their corner of the world where they're just gathering points and swaying ministers that's a different story for sure but that's what i'm saying is it's so circumstantial yep for sure right on speaking of the moles thou shalt not allow the moles to snowball very important um, it, it is all too easy to get intimidated by a big old stack of moles hulking over a clearing with a market in it or whatever. Mm-hmm. But you got to realize that at a certain point, someone's got to go in there and deal with those moles because <laughs> they're just going to hang out until they have so many points they can just run around and break stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're coming for you. And we all know that the dice work better when you're the one attacking. Yeah. Basically, like, it is the table's problem to deal with the moles at a certain point, and that they are going to do their best to be, like, untouchable, or at least appear untouchable. So you gotta gotta overcome that uh, sticker shock and just go after some moles. Well, the problem with with the moles snowballing, right, isn't just their ability to have a ton of moles at the table and also, or on the board, and put them kind of anywhere because of dig right but it's also the fact that if they've been snowballing they've probably got an impressive bureaucracy going and so they have the mechanics to deal with you once they get that snowball to a certain size where not there's not much you can do as a singular faction and even if the table turns against them fully uh, it's gonna be a lot of work mm-hmm. yeah and they can recover pretty good yeah in a lot of cases mm-hmm. yeah um but yeah i, I just Little actions early on can make a big difference. Even just attacking like one lone mole in a random clearing, right? It's going to cost them an action to get another mole like back out into that clearing, and that's an action they could have used recruiting or something. So like, just yeah, be be aware that little chip damage early in the game can help to forestall the forming of the snowball, especially the moles, because it's not just a little damage with them. The price of failure is high, so you can really stop the snowball pretty easily if you if you time it right and they've left a building out there the price of failure yeah, is such just a plop that snowball in the microwave <laughs> i mean it's turmoil level hindrance sometimes for them especially early in the game like i th- oh, yeah. I think lizards they can they can have problems when they lose a garden that's not that's not the worst thing in the world but the price of failure is a high price to pay no no the garden price is way worse no you're just saying that because you love lizards you just saying that because you love moles here's the deal my religion's better <laughs> <laughs> No, you lose a card for each garden. 
And with the price of failure, oh, right. you lose it for instance of losing buildings, which is usually two at the same time. You only sure. lose one card, whereas gardens, you lose both. But you lose a suede minister. That's different than a card. A card is an action, just like a suede minister. Yeah, but you get that action every turn. A card, you only get once. All the more reason yeah, why, I guess I... why you need more of them. <laughs> I feel like it checks the, the factions pretty... Kyle, no, like Kyle, weigh in. in. Who's right? Jake or me? Who's right? I think Jake is more right. Yes! <laughs> what? You think that price of failure is worse than whatever the lizard one is called that I'm looking up right now? Fear of faithful or something? Did I make that up? Yeah. Fear of the faithful, yeah. I think it is fear of the faithful. Yeah, that might be the digital name for it. It might not have a normal name. Um. Yes, I think that price of failure for the duchy is slightly worse mm-hmm. for two reasons. One is that Suede ministers are a finite resource. Two is that uh, you sway ministers after you take minister actions. So it's like you lose that minister's ability for like two turns, basically. Um, oh, well, I guess just for a full entire turn until you can re-sway them, mm-hmm. if that's even possible. Almost like drawing cards at the end of your turn. Right? <laughs> Three is that I think for the lizards, depending on what stage of the game you're at, like a card as an action doesn't really make a big difference. Like recruiting one lizard usually is not like the biggest deal in the world, but instead it's that scoring potential. Lastly, I think buildings are more precious to the moles than they are to the lizards in a way. Cause here's the thing. Once you get two gardens down, you're kind of fine. Yes. That's but if you true. lose like yeah. a random garden. That's what we're losing. Who's yeah, building a third know. one. That's what we're talking about. We're losing an ability to score. You get acolytes for your trouble. You know what I mean? You have a comeback mechanic that's built into what this is likely to be. Right. And guess who gets to aim the gun of your comeback mechanic? The other three players through the outcast suit. <laughs> There's no way you All guys right, are convincing me on this. I guess that's fair. Wait, 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 what's the other price of failure, Sam? Does the duchy lose a random card? Yeah. Isn't that the exact same thing that the lizards lose? Lizards use a card for an action. You use it to sway a minister. We each lose mm-hmm. a card. I also lose a minister. Well, lizards would lose more cards depending on how the battle turned out. Sure, yeah. sure. Depending on that one factor. Uh, very commonly, both <laughs> buildings get removed in one action. I would say that's more common than it going the other way. <sighs> well, I agree I with Kyle's assessment that I'm right. Yeah, I guess I'm out. I, uh, let us know. I can't wait for this episode to get posted and... Uh, <laughs> the community to weigh in on what is worse price of failure or fear of the faithful um we'll Great. we'll get into that yeah and when we do our um versus guides for these factions i'm excited to see what that kind of amounts to all right <laughs> let's keep going through these tablets thou shalt not get crafty when opposing the lord of the hundreds now i don't have too much of experience with opposing the lord of the hundreds um I've probably been in like five to seven games with them, but I have noticed when they have a lot of items is when that they are a very big problem. Um, and they kind of don't need help from other players. They can start kind of policing three players at once, once they get enough items. So I think the way to deal with this, and by think I mean no, because it's written on this tablet, is that... <laughs> The only way to deal with them is to withhold crafting items, much like you do when you're in a game with the Vagabond. 
so I do want to give some context to this because we have explained exactly how the Lord of Hundreds works in one of our previous episodes about the Marauder expansion preview. But because Lord of the Hundreds just came out, for those of you that might not be familiar with it, Lord of Hundreds has two mechanics called Command and Prowess, uh, both of which are uh, a number of actions that they can uh, take during their daylight, which allow them to move and uh, battle and combinations thereof. Uh, each of their command and prowess tracks are filled with items that they take either from ruins or from other players, or they may craft themselves. So what this rule is saying is if you craft, there's a chance that the old Lord of Hundreds is going to come and take it from you. The ability that they do that is called looting. Looters. Yeah. Looters, yeah. So instead of what well, they'll, they'll engage you in combat, in a battle and then instead of dealing hits they still take hits but instead of dealing hits to your uh um warriors if they deal at least one i believe they can instead take an item is that right yeah i think they get the item regardless oh they so even if they deal no hits. Inflict hits okay yeah. um so oh so a zero zero they'd still get to take it yeah, I believe so. Okay, Let me great. double check. Okay. I believe so. Um, so here's my question for it because I also am a little bit pushbacky on this one. Um, I was in a situation where I was on the opposite side of the board from the Lord of the Hundreds, and mm. I felt like I could kind of get my engine rolling. I think I was either – I want to say I was either moles or lizards. Um, but I got my engine kind of up and running, and the, the Lord of the Hundreds is still a long walk away from me. And I was like, well – I think I need to start cranking out the crafting now to get to to a safe point where I can get within scoring distance. And I actually don't mind doing that because when he comes to me, I'd rather he loot me and get his engine slowly started than deal damage to me. Because it does prevent hits in battle when they have to loot. Right. Yeah. Um. I, I just looked up the rule. One, one clarification is uh, at the end of the battle... Uh, they have to rule the clearing in order to take ah, the item. Ah, okay. So that is um, a still key after thing. having hits taken to them, right? Yeah. Um, but Jake, I think that you're right. I think you have to make a similar calculation, like we were talking about with the vagabond and the T. Like, are you going to win? Uh, are you going to win that race between the other faction you're propping up? And with Lord of the Hundreds, I I think that there's just a little bit more unknown. Uh, at least from my perspective, so I, I could hear there being more flexibility here. Than we were so we were so adamant about not letting the vagabond get the tea, and now we're being adamant about not crafting any items with Lord of the Hundreds. I think it's just about like you have to know that when you craft with Lord of the Hundreds, he'll engage you in battle, try to rule, but won't hurt you necessarily, and that that's kind of an okay trade off. But what you're trading off is his engine coming online that much quicker, and his engine is hurting you. Yes, his en- yeah, that's true. His engine only gets more destructive. This is a good point. Like, yeah. he could take an item that then gives him another action to right. then battle you for real. So it's like you yeah. didn't save anything. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, it could go very bad very quickly. And also, don't forget, too, that the the Warlord could also just move into a clearing that has, like, one random warrior of yours in it and loot that warrior. Like, it doesn't have to be, you know, going to your, like, main right. area and doing a bunch of damage. Like, it... it is like a pretty trivial um action to take for them right uh, yeah that's a really good point kyle because i remember another game i was playing as the corvids and got all my items stolen because i just had crows everywhere (laughs) so it's very easy for him (laughs) to just be like yoink 
And yeah. then I believe, I think or that was instance, when we were playing against Matt, who won the game, right? Matt from Space yeah. Cast Peace Girls won the game as Lord of the Hundreds. And yeah. he was actually, at the beginning of that game, like, ah, I'm not really sure how to work this engine. I don't really see it happening. He just gained a bunch of items, and the engine ran itself, and he yeah, stopped uh, that's us. kind of where I'm basing this law, or this commandment off of, is like, we all, and Jake was doing a great job as Crows of crafting everything. <laughs> Um, I like shiny and, things, man. I can't. And, yeah, it was. It felt like that. It felt very thematic. <laughs> and and then we just realized, like, what has happened? Mm -hmm. Like, we're like, oh, no. Wait, so Matt yeah. gets to move and then battle four times. But because of his mood, every time he does that, he can do it an additional time for free. <laughs> Oh no! Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. So. With those with those moods, the trouble can really compound on itself. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Thou shalt not permit anyone to get three matching crafters when playing with the base deck. This is, of course, meaning don't let anyone craft favor cards. Yeah, and this will be telegraphed extremely hard for every faction except the Woodland Alliance. Mm -hmm. <laughs> It's one of those things where your spidey sense should tingle anytime somebody even gets close to that. You're like, why do they have two Fox workshops? What's going on here? Yeah, there there should be some special awareness that that makes you aware of everyone's crafting ability. And if they have three of the same, that is definitely overkill. And they super have a favor, and they're going to use it. Yeah, and even if you aren't threatened by that action, like if you're not in those Fox clearings and you see them doing that, you should still alert the table because that's going to be a heat drawing thing and you want the heat on anybody but you so that's going to inspire other people to fight which is what you exactly want yeah and that favor's got to be worth a few points on yeah. at the same time as checking several right. of the other people i think you're right jake even if i was the player who's probably going to make off the best other than the person who's crafting favor i would alert yeah. the table make them scared get them scared of that of the of that player for yeah. sure mm-hmm well, this this next, one's pretty easy. This Everyone next one agrees. I, I didn't even read it until now. <laughs> <laughs> Jake, you want to tell us this one? Thou shall not craft coffin makers and get away with it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> you, you, I mean, you could craft coffin makers, but you're not gonna get away with it. All right. Wait, what's the commandment here? Is to <laughs> is to Give not get away time. with it? Yeah, you're not going to get away with it. What do you mean? That's I don't understand what the commandment is. You shall not get away with it. What if I get away with it? I'm going to root hell because I won the game by getting away with it? Yep, that's correct. Okay, so if I win with Coffin Makers, I'm going to root hell. Yes, you I believe that's Have what you seen says. the art on the card? Yes, you're going to hell. <laughs> well, here's the thing, Jake. You can craft Coffin Makers. Yeah, dude. Go ahead. Craft away. Okay, then step two. But you cannot... Get away with it. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> well, here's the thing. Matt from Space Cat's Peace Turtles in that game with Lord uh, of the Hundreds yeah, crafted coffin makers yeah. like really early on. And we just never got the saboteurs together. He got a saboteur. Oh, so no. he could sabotage yeah, he our saboteurs. saboteurs. And then I think there was one in the retinue and one in the decree or something like that. I think I had one, honestly, for a while and was afraid to use it because I was like, hey, he's just going to sabotage it. He's going to sabotage yeah. the saboteur. It, it's a bad situation. And instead of let instead of Matt not getting away with it, we instead crafted a bunch of items for him. So in a way, we're all complicit in going to rude hell in that game. 
man, the warlord with coffin makers is so terrible because <laughs> yeah. you just yeah. rack he, he up the body count on your turn. We did not deal with that situation properly. Are you saying don't let someone else ca- craft the coffin makers and let that them get away with it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I yeah. think it was phrased oh. as like a, something you should do. Sorry, this was translated do, but... from Latin, Jake. Oh, it was hard I for get me it. To... Yeah, no, I can mm-hmm. see how the Latin really screwed it up now. Yeah. yeah. Got it. Okay. Thou shalt not throw in the towel. Okay, I nominate this as my favorite uh, root commandment. Um, Thou shalt not throw in the towel. I, much like in other games that I play, like there is a time and a place to resign the game if all hope is truly lost. Root is one of those games where just sometimes, for no good reason, it comes back around to your turn and then you just... The way is open, and you can go ahead and claim that victory, even though it did look in the mid-game like you had no earthly chance to make it happen. Seriously, even if you have a bad turmoil on Recruit or something, even if, you know, you have a couple of bad battles and you lose some buildings, you suffer the price of failure. Everybody, everybody gets knocked down. What's important is you got to stay in the game. You got to stick with it. Play the best moves. Never give up. I'm in a game with Sam right now on digital that I've really set up quite poorly. And yeah. I'm in a real situation where I don't think I'm going to get much momentum in this game. Like, I'm looking at a single-digit scoring game, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> and we're, like, in round two. I think I've had two turns. And No, I, we, I think we got three. Okay, well, even worse. <laughs> uh, and I'm not going to give up because there's going to be three other factions duking it out constantly. And they're, what's key about my failure and my terrible position and my demoralized self is that they also know that. And they don't <laughs> consider me a threat. <laughs> so no. maybe, maybe I can become a threat later. No, uh, yeah. So for those of you who want to imagine at home, Jake's we're playing a game on the winter so map. Bad. Jake's up in Russia. Uh, in the northern strip there. Um, the keep is in the far left corner, mm-hmm. and Jake is in the clearing next to the keep mm-hmm. and one other clearing that mm-hmm. definitely has martial law set up. Mm-hmm. And it's martial law in every direction I was after uh, that. Too. I'm Alliance, it's, and I went forth. Yeah. And so half the, half the winter map was martial lawed before I even got my first turn. And I was just like, okay. Here's a little strip up north. And then as soon as I planted it and ended my turn, I was like, oh, I have nowhere to go. I'm in a dead end because of the keep. I can't place uh, pieces there. And the only other spot, the birds are a coming. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> it's not a good spot to be in. But I'm not going to throw in the towel. Yeah, never throw in the towel. Even the heretic in the back of the crowd's like, We're, no one's throwing in the towel. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think this is fun. This is a nice motivational commandment. I like it. I was listening back to our getting good episode to make sure that we weren't repeating information. And uh, Kyle, you said your number one advice was to never give up. And so that kind of inspired this. Jake, you called Root a game of just crazy comebacks because everyone <laughs> kind of fights off the leaders at the top. Like an underdog story is what the game kind of creates uh, mm-hmm. naturally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like, who's going to waste actions on their turn kicking the underdog? Like, right. what, what's the point? That's that's silly to do. Instead, you should direct your efforts to somebody who's, like, in a more winning position. Yeah. 
But in doing so, you do kind of create some breathing room for someone to have a comeback. And oh, that's what I love about Root. Um, And I just thought it was funny to hear Kyle say, like, never give up, because I feel like your move now is turn two to declare your game over. <laughs> so I was like, oh, wow, look at look at look at how he's changed. Here's the thing, Sam, is I'm not giving up the dream of being treated as an underdog on turn two so that I have some room to grow. Because <laughs> yeah. I feel like I go into games now and everyone's just like, oh, Kyle, such a big threat. Like, kill him. <laughs> it's true. That's just me. No, no, it's me too. <laughs> I, I feel like here's what happens is Kyle's naturally very good at games. And so then like, I, I think we really started to like Root because like we would be like, well, we can make sure that Kyle doesn't win just because he's better. <laughs> you know, he has to... He has to crawl and pretend he's not as good if he wants a shot at winning. You know what I mean? I will walk the walk. I will crawl the crawl. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, this one is a, is a good commandment here. Thou shalt not move into sympathy, battle sympathy, and then not set up martial law. Oh. <laughs> what are you doing? Are you playing as the Alliance or are you trying to beat them? You know? This yeah, one I you see. You went into an ice cream shop. <laughs> you bought some gelato. You put sprinkles on top of it, and then you left it sitting in the sun. <laughs> like, what are you even doing? What are you even doing? This is the one I see broken the most often, I think. Yeah. As a f infrequent alliance player. Like, people do this all the time. Yeah. I feel like martial law is something people are just like, oh, yeah, I guess I did set up martial law, huh? huh. Good job, <laughs> yeah. past me. <laughs> yeah, too often it is a fun discovery after that. <laughs> so to be clear you don't want to uh knock out someone's sympathy and then give them an opportunity to just put it right back there again because by moving in and battling you've given them two cards into their followers therefore setting them up to just return right back to the table on their next turn yeah yeah with interest you want to make it at least as costly to replace that sympathy if you're going to actually like march in there and mm -hmm. battle it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's just important to not underestimate the Woodland Alliance. Don't go willy-nilly on that sympathy. It's fine. You can underestimate them. They're not going to win. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. We have another don't underestimate the Woodland Alliance commandment. <laughs> uh, there's a lot about the Woodland Alliance in here. All right. Okay, and it's because right. more than that, they need yeah. to be dealt with in specific ways. We haven't even done the versus Woodland Alliance episode. And for how many commandments there are, <laughs> they better be read for how much of this is coming up. I think there's a whole tablet on just the Woodland Alliance. It's been, it was that much of a problem in Root's murky past. Yeah. <laughs> Thou shalt not tolerate Woodland Alliance. When they've crafted Corvid planners. Uh, Don't tolerate them. Uh, why? Corvid planners is a card that allows uh, that faction to move regardless of rule. Mm -hmm. Meaning that those agents, those operatives of the Woodland Alliance are just skittering around the forest wherever they want to go, unable to be camped on by a, a stronger force. And they, ju they just run around and organize. Yeah. Uh, freely like it's they can they just have the run of the board and it, it becomes very quickly uh completely untenable to stop them. <laughs> organized being the action that allows them to remove a warrior from a clearing and place a sympathy token there right? yeah they can send a, a so you guys remember that one like urukai from lord of the rings that has like the torch and it's running into 
Uh, it, it's in two towers, and it's running into um, Helm's Deep to like blow up all the bombs. Yeah, yeah he's yeah, got a sick yeah, helmet. Yeah. yeah. Every Woodland Alliance warrior <laughs> is that orc <laughs> when they have crafted Corvid players. So you just got to make sure that they don't do that, or if they do, to like really shut them down. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's brutal. And Jake, you got the phrasing exactly right. Even with the new law, there's. There's uh, a clarification on the term replace. Replace allows you to remove and then place. But of note, when someone organizes, when the Woodland Alliance organizes, they remove place. (laughs) Because when you replace, you have to be able to do both parts of the action. And when you remove place... You don't have to do them. So you could remove a warrior without placing a sympathy there to free it up for a recruit action if you were warrior limited. Oh, what you're saying is, okay, if it was replaced, you need to be able to fulfill that by having a token to place there, and therefore you must do it. Therefore, But you could alternatively remove one and not place a sympathy token. That's right. Why would you do that? Would you... Why wouldn't you place a sympathy token? That's I remember there's well, one it, of Kyle's puzzle videos that where that's the solution. <laughs> oh, who makes those things? That's that's <laughs> monstrous. It's, it's such an edge case thing, but essentially because the Woodland Alliance is very limited in terms of warriors. Yes. Sometimes yeah. you just need an extra warrior to be able to recruit somewhere or whatever. Sure. So if you're at the keep or something, you can just like zap that guy out. Place no sympathy, but then, you know. Recruit that's kind else. of bananas. I've never really heard that until today um yeah replace i mean to say it in tablet speak it's you can't not place (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh okay here we go thou shalt not sanctify a building in a clearing without lizard warriors this is for the lizard cult uh players out there um i see this happen a lot where people use sanctify as an offensive tool to remove someone's building maybe to turmoil the birds or to uh, cause price of failure with the moles. But if you do that in a clearing with no lizard warriors, then you're also giving up a card from your hand, and you're going to have a four-action, at least four-action turn, uh, which is not ideal. Again, you guys think that uh, Fear of the Faithful is like no big deal. Like, it's like... We you know, didn't say that. You did. You no, diminished it, it hurts, me. just not as much. We didn't say it was um, no big deal. Yeah, you you don't even listen to how I feel anymore. Your beliefs matter too. They're just heretical. <laughs> um, I think this is a good rule to keep in mind. And it actually makes a lot of sense why this would send you straight to root hell if you do it. Um, because you not only feel the mortal punishment of uh, suffering in an actual root game, but just uh, like in the storyline of root, I feel like this makes a lot of sense. It's like a bunch of people just burned a building down and then like put a sign on the ground and like this is a garden now. <laughs> okay, wait. And let, then someone else is like, no. <laughs> I'm loving <laughs> the analogies, but let's explain exactly what we're losing by doing this. You're saying that because you replace your building with or their building with your building and leave it unguarded, it's probably going to get bopped next turn because who wouldn't do that? Right. Um. And by they'll gain a point. You'll lose a card, and then you'll have. What? Less actions next turn is what you're saying? Right. Why? Uh, Because every card in your hand is an action. 
Got it. Yeah. So presuming you won't drop to your maximum is what you're well, saying. Well, you do that at the end of your turn. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have a turn where you have less actions. Right, because you discard a card. Okay, off turn. Okay, I understand what you're well, saying. Let this be a lesson but, to anyone who's starting their own um, bespoke religion out there. Um, you're going to want to have some followers first before you invest in a space. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's just like a, just a quick, quick thing. Rule of thumb. Many yeah. a religion's uh, been founded church first, followers second, and have not lasted long. Yeah, this is not Field of Dreams, you guys. <laughs> All right. We if do you not build, build it, it first. They'll burn it down. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the thing, though. Even if you have a couple of suited cards in your hand to reinforce, like, unless you have are putting all five cards into stocking up warriors in that clearing after the fact, like, people are coming for you yeah. if you burn their Ask yourself, down. do you need this garden? Like, it, it, but but what you said at the beginning of this is, do you need to turmoil the birds? Because yeah. you said if you're doing this for a purpose, which I'm sure there's a reason you're sanctifying without lizard followers, right? And I usually turmoiling the birds some kind of feeling of power. I find <laughs> I feel that a lot of lizard players are like, I'm I'm not even doing anything. I'm going to take Watch something away from this. someone else. Yeah, yeah. This I this has to be a last ditch maneuver. I haven't been like, able to move from these clearings in four rounds, so. <laughs> I will replace your home with a garden. I've got a uh, weird yeah. situation going right now, you guys, where I swear in digital games and TTS games, I haven't had a bird card in like three or four games, I feel like. I've just been drawing suited cards. I don't know what it is. The The thing is like turmoiling the birds is a pretty worthwhile thing. And I feel like losing a card and losing a garden, I guess I could see a trade off is what I'm saying. I'm not saying one's better than the other. Yeah, I think that there are circumstances where this could happen, but also it also feels like, oh, really? So the rest of the table who's not the lizard cult, yeah, sure, like gets to, you know, gets bailed out by me like this. I only get like two cool actions per game. Yeah, you know, lizard lizard shouldn't be policing like that. Right. Uh, yeah, it is circumstantial for sure. Yeah, there okay. I could see a situation where you could win the game by doing it, or or prevent someone from winning the game, and that's your last ditch effort. But yeah, Kyle said it's it's a last ditch effort for sure. Yeah, if it's also if it's your last turn as the lizards, like kind of why not, right? Um, I I get it as a hail mary or a uh a desperate type of move this just it feels so desperate to me if you're going to do something like this just like a naked garden out there Mm -hmm. like yeah that's just going to be the biggest target in the world plus it costs Um, three or two acolytes depending on if it's hated so it's like an expensive thing to do uh from that perspective as well not just what you're going to lose mm -hmm. that's true all right thou shalt not suffer the harrier Taking two consecutive turns, not in the forest. Um, yeah, I think this is more of our vagabond salt coming through, but yeah, for real, you guys, the Harrier is just too good to let off the chain. It's already off the chain. You have to put that chain in the forest every other turn. That's what you have to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to like guide the Harrier into the woods, (laughs) drive a stake into the ground with a chain on it, like a chain chomp from Mario. Okay. Okay, the analogies are off the chain right now for you guys. What does this mean by not letting the Harrier take two consecutive turns? Because the Harrier can move, right, uh, without exhausting boots, what's, what, are we, what are we ensuring by this? So the Harrier basically can score uh, enough points to win if they take half as many turns as you do. 
How? Uh, through Vagabond Infamy. Uh, they can teleport to the juiciest clearing that will net them the most points and battle as many times as they have swords there, which they start with a sword. They will uncover one sword in the ruin, so that's already terrifying. If anyone crafts a sword, then you're in trouble. If both swords are crafted, we're talking about someone who can teleport anywhere and attack four times. <laughs> and if again, an average root game is like around seven turns. Right. If everyone's like pretty competitive, the Harrier can win the game in like five or six. If, if there's no pressure applied, the Harrier will just like really, really quickly settle it. Because their torch ability, Glide... Uh, is movement related and is unrestricted by adjacency. Like, you know, if somebody has a battle that just doesn't go the right way, like the Harrier can just instantly pop up and mop up the rest of the pieces. Um, it, can, it can get out of hand really fast. So I think uh, I think it's important to have a healthy level of aggression towards the Harrier, which is, I think, what the point of this commandment is. Um, specifically the Harrier, I, does this apply to the Tinker as well? I think a little bit. I, For me, the Harrier's just a little scarier. Harrier scarier? But uh, <laughs> Tinker is really scary because of the discard pile. I think you just have to deal with them in different ways. The Harrier seems like the one it's like everybody has to attack this guy every turn, essentially. Whereas Tinker's like, we can hit him a bunch up top before he's too scary and then as long as we don't put junk in the discard we can kind of get away with it i think mm -hmm. base deck is also a factor with tinker <laughs> regardless <laughs> but yeah not as much pushback as i had anticipated the well <laughs> it's just so specific i don't really yeah don't let the hair i mean the specificity of don't let them take two consecutive turns not in the forest you push them back in the forest by making them need to repair their items is what you're saying yeah yeah. Beat him up. All right. Thou shalt not reach aided status with a vagabond unless you're in that coalition, in which case, go ahead and move my pieces around, vagabond. We're on the same team now. Yeah. Okay. I, basically, the point of this is if you are not the vagabond and the vagabond is aiding you a bunch of items, sure. It's nice to get a little gift now and then. Mm -hmm. Sure. It's nice when they're supporting your, you know, organized religion with regular contributions. <laughs> But at a certain point, you're starting to think like, hey, Vagabond, are you just laundering cards through my organization for points? And she's like, maybe. <laughs> Here's the deal. You have to break that allied status at some point or just make sure that they never get there because the points rack up so, so quickly if they're allowed to reach that point. Um, the way to do it is... Literally just to battle the Vagabond until they knock out one of your warriors. Sam, this can backfire, though, right? If they damage the sword. If they damage the sword, what do you mean? If the Vagabond chooses to damage the sword as uh, the item of choice, oh. that they deal no hits. Yeah, I guess um, so, yeah. They can they can technically stay uh, at the same relationship level with, with the faction because they, they have no potential to deal hits. I mean, they become a punching bag at that point, I guess, is the only drawback, but... You can kind of still maintain uh, like an aid strategy. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I mean, that that is definitely true. I, I think the scariest part of the aid thing is them moving your warriors around. 
I know I've done it in digital games where you go full allied status, and then I'm just like, oh, all these cats protecting all this wood and sawmills? Let's move those over here, and then I'm just going to go back over there just to check on them, and then that's when we're no longer... Well, actually, if I'm not removing a warrior, we can still be allied, right? Oh, 100%. 100%. You're just cleaning up cardboard at that point. Yeah, so you don't get double points for the cardboard for infamy, but... Uh, anyway, it's very scary what they are allowed to do on their turn if they are allied. So I think it's best to just never let it get there. Yeah. It initiate a battle against the Vagabond. Chances are, more likely than not, they'll, they'll remove one of your warriors, making them immediately hostile, and you won't ever have to worry about it again. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one I'm curious to get your take on, Kyle. I kind of was just doing this as a rule of thumb about how these two things interact, but thou shalt not revolt adjacent to the keep. I think I meant oh, this for our first yeah. revolt specifically, maybe. Um, but the Woodland Alliance being next to the keep is just a no-go because that's a whole clearing that can never be sympathetic until that keep goes away. It's a dead end. I mean, you're revolting in a cul-de-sac. Like, sure, <laughs> the view is nice, but, I mean, come on, there... You can't spread any sympathy in the keep. Yeah. So, what are you doing? So if I've done that, should I throw in the towel? No, Never Jake. Never throw in the towel, Jake. But I'm just saying, you're you're in a tough spot. No. <laughs> you're in a tough spot. A spot of my own making. Right <laughs> I almost want them to just wipe out the sympathy and I let me start over again. Yeah. Yeah. I thought about doing it. It's just hard uh, to get there right yeah. now. Yeah. Put me out of my misery. It'd be great. Yeah. Uh, yeah, thou shalt not revote adjacent to the keep is is primarily just because there's nowhere else to go is what you're saying. Yeah, that's your own hindrance. Yeah, it's 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 as if you are connected to one less clearing. Yeah. than you otherwise might be. Pick any other clearing. Yeah, that's not adjacent to the keep, and and you'll be better off. All right, here's just an order of operations thing. This will help you out if you're an alliance player. Thou shalt not remove sympathy before you remove your matching base. This, this comes up in every, pretty much every game uh, as the Woodland Alliance. When players destroy a base, there's usually also a sympathy in that clearing. Um, and when those things are destroyed, the, the Woodland Alliance player has the ability to prioritize which thing is removed first. This, is all, this gets mixed up all the time. So just to reiterate very clearly, you want to remove the base first. Lose the matching supporters and bird cards. And then lose the sympathy so that you're getting a matching supporter back. So you're at least getting a little bit for your trouble. Right, because if you take out the sympathy first, first, then when you remove the base, you lose the sympathy you would have just gotten. The supporter you just get You just get nothing. Uh, Because when you lose a base, all supporters that match that suit, including your birds... You lose them, right, from yeah. your followers? Yeah, exactly. Supporters, not followers. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you want to make sure you're getting some bang for your buck. Get at least one supporter out of the tough situation. Yeah. Yeah. That's just a commandment. All right. Thou shalt not turn a blind eye to factions revealing their hand. So this is when you're going against the lizards or the moles. Uh, anytime someone's revealing their hand, you're going to want to look at it. Make sure that you know what's in their hand. Behold the information. I have such a hard time with this. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I tend to get kind of absorbed into pre-planning my turn a little bit, or just trying to figure out what it is that I want to be able to do on my turn. Because um, I want to play quickly and not make everybody sit around and wait while I like come up with an idea. Um, and so then when players are revealing their 
hand cards, I'm not always as attentive as I should be to like what's being revealed, but it is so important to see what they have in their hand. Um, you can tell a lot about what a moles player is trying to do mm-hmm. based on the like stuff in their hand. Like, are they going to craft this or not? Like, what do they have access to? Are they just chilling on a tea and like a master engravers or whatever? Like, <laughs> you want you want to be a little bit heads up about cards being revealed. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I, I. It's so easy to prevent the lizards from crafting the cards you see too. Like, you control their crafting suit. So just being like, oh, they've got coins. Well, we could, you know, take out their gardens and maybe randomly hope to get rid of the coins. Or we could just make sure it's never rabbit. And then those coins are just cards in their hand. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, moles, I feel like it's a similar thing. Though moles can plop down crafters that turn in a really sneaky way. So So Sam, what's what's your strategy to open your eyes? bro about uh somebody revealing their hand what what do you what do you do when you're facing a faction that reveals cards i look at it i, I especially i'm i think i look for the high profile stuff i'm looking for coffin makers i look to see if there's any ambushes i'm looking for high valued uh items like coins or tea um and i'm just like i guess i'm just like keeping an eye on it knowing that i have that information you know if if I see that, oh, the lizards could craft this thing, like, you know, just just noting the fact that they have higher swing potential or something, you know, mm-hmm. it's just more information you have. It, it might not mean that you can actionably do too much about it, but I feel like it matters more for the moles. I think you're right, Kyle. It maps out their turn pretty clearly. Like if they're like, oh, you know what? They only have like one rabbit card. So if they have one warrior in a rabbit clearing, like, yeah, taking that guy out and making sure that they have to replace him with costly actions is, is a good strategy. Yeah. So keep an eye on it. Um, feel free to either do or don't like, uh, keep a notebook with like meticulously scribbled, um, notes about all the cards that are revealed, uh, up to you. But yeah, definitely don't turn a blind eye though. If you're flying blind, um, you're just skipping valuable information. This is a game of information in a lot of ways, and this is a good way to get it. All right. Thou shalt not believe without question what your opponents are suggesting for you. But Sam, what if they have your best interest at heart? They don't. They're your opponent. <laughs> That's the key. That's the key word there. They oppose you. They might act like your friends, and they might be telling you the thing you actually should do. But it's important to not believe it without question. Mm-hmm. What do they stand yeah. to gain from it? Maybe it is. Maybe they are telling you the truth and you have everything to gain from it that they say you do, but they might also have something to gain from it. And it's important to know who's benefiting from what and that nobody in Root exists in a vacuum. Qui bono. <laughs> Qui bono. <laughs> um, yeah. Basically, like, everyone is going to say a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they are going to say words mm-hmm. in your direction mm-hmm. and exhort you to make some move or other. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really important to like, just have a little bit of space to be independent, you know, go into your mind palace, figure out your own plan before you uh, adopt somebody else's strategy. Cause yeah, you're right, Sam. At the end of the day, they're trying to win just as much mm-hmm. as you are. Yeah. It might take some temporary cooperation, but 
never let that be mistaken for your opponents having your best interests at heart. Yeah, I like to hear everybody out. I really like to hear like, oh, keep talking. Like, I feel like talking sometimes can expose too much of your plan, you know? So I'm always like, well, what wouldn't I just be doing this for you or something? And like, hear how they respond, you know? And like, maybe not checking the person, you know? It, it, I like to listen to it all because I know it, it, at the end of the day, it's me. I'm making the decision and I've got to do the decision that best puts me in a best position to win. This is a hard one because I do think there are times in the game when when you're forced to make a decision that does not really directly benefit you, but instead prolongs the game. And uh, it can be super, super tricky to know how far to turn that dial um, because it's like if you don't do it enough, then the game's just over and you lose. But if you do it too much, then the game keeps going, but you're just not in a position to win. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, you're losing longer. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You're just prolonging your own defeat at that point. Um, but yeah, you just gotta, you gotta be open to limited cooperation if it's going to benefit you. Yeah. And basically to have, uh, uh, have good sense about how much you're willing to distort your turn to kind of assist the table the lizards sanctifying a random roost is a great example of this Mm -hmm. like you know they're they're doing the policing that the rest of the table is free to skip out on so i don't know maybe another good question to ask here is like if i don't do this Mm -hmm. like is it that bad or Mm -hmm. like is there are there other avenues that are possible yeah as someone who likes to give a lot of advice that's helpful to me (laughs) I'm always encouraging people to do things that will benefit me and not necessarily them, but highlighting the threat that they are um, lessening at the table by the other faction that they're acting against, right? I I think this commandment is great. Don't believe without question. It doesn't mean that they are lying to you or deceiving you. They could also just be flat out wrong. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So you don't have to always assume uh, bad intentions, but uh, it's all about what you can get out of this too and if you getting out of this means prolonging the game so you have a chance to win then i mean it is valuable (laughs) and maybe a like sub clause of this commandment is something like don't do anything for free yeah Mm. don't help your opponents for free Mm -hmm. you know if if they're gonna ask you to do something weird like you know be game if it's gonna help the the game continue but you know you can work something out be like okay well if you leave this clearing then sure or whatever. Like, you know, make a deal. Yeah. Make it work. Yeah, get something. All right. This one is this one is just for me. This one is just what I need to tell myself when I start any game against the Woodland Alliance. And thou shalt not <laughs> hold on to all your good cards before moving into and battling sympathy. Mm, yeah. And I'm like, oh, wait, no, I'll save this for next turn. And then, oh, <laughs> wait. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. They took all my cards. God, and they're so cheerful about it, too. It's annoying. If you're cats, just spend your bird cards right away. Like, get them yeah. out of your hand. Do that first. Yeah. Do that first. Just get how many extra actions are you getting this turn? Great. And now you don't have to worry about any of them being stolen by the Woodland Alliance. 
If you are a bird player and are like, well, I've got two bird cards, it's like, well, try to craft one of them because otherwise it's yeah. going to the Woodland Alliance. Yeah, the bird cards in the supporter stack is quite a nice little thing. <laughs> yeah. uh, so be careful about giving that to them. I, it's, it's really just about good cards, also bird cards. Yeah, yeah they built this city on bird cards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just don't do this. It hurts. Just don't do it. It hurts. Yeah. Spend them first, then move in battle. Commandment number 27. Yeah, now the 27th commandment. Again, in no order. Thou shalt not initiate a battle without first asking, would you like to play an ambush? (laughs) This is an etiquette thing. I love this commandment so much. Because this is more of like an etiquette thing, I think, at a root table, which is... I mean, I guess you could kind of deduce this from the rules or whatever, but it's become such a such a beat, like such a moment mm. in the game. Like, if you're going to initiate a battle, first you ask, like, hey, I'm going to initiate a battle here against whatever player. Do you want to play an ambush? Do you have an ambush to play? Uh, because not only are you um, showing respect to your opponents by not rushing anything by giving them their proper like window of opportunity to play whatever card. But also you can tell a lot mm-hmm. sometimes from people's reactions to that, whether they're like, Oh no, 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 that's <laughs> fine. That's fine. Or if they're like, I choose not to yeah. or whatever, if they overperform. Like I may have an ambush. <laughs> like that also tells you a lot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also uh, part of this clause is to, um, politely but very vaguely decline <laughs> it's it you always go do you have an ambush and they're like not that i would like to play at this time i have so many options um i'm actually getting <laughs> married to an ambush so not right now I love that the reality of this is that armies are always marching into clearings looking at the other army that's already there and being like all right I'm going to murder you. But before I do, is anybody going to come from the trees and murder me? <laughs> it's so funny how, like... We'll give you a moment to consider. <laughs> yeah. Am- if anybody's going to jump out from the trees, please do it now before I murder you. <laughs> we-, <laughs> we talked about how, like, don't get surprised by an ambush, right? Thou shalt yeah. not be surprised by an ambush. And it is so funny to be like, the surprise attack in Root is not a surprise. It's like a step of battle. Yeah, it's like a negotiated, like... <laughs> yeah. We make time for this. Yes. You know? Especially in digital where it's like, all right, here comes my battle. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> I got one of oh, those no, I gotta going wait right a day now and a half. where I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> I got to oh, check in like six options hours. for a long time. <laughs> all right, everybody, back to camp. Hold on. It we're, says we're considering options. There. <laughs> There's only one option they're considering. <laughs> yeah, the guys in the trees are like, are we going to pounce from above or the side? <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, we have to have a meeting about this for a full day first. <laughs> Alright, you stab that guy in the neck. I'll get this guy in the back of the knee. <laughs> <laughs> no, not my knee. Um Yeah, yeah. I think this is just a it's a good etiquette thing. Also, it's just kind of funny. So I think just do it anyway, because it's great. Uh Sam, I like what you said politely but firmly decline is <laughs> <laughs> such a funny thing to do. Be like, um, I elect to not produce and engage <laughs> this ambush. Yeah. yeah. Some of you are putting on a three-act play here with your answers. Uh, you can also just as effectively just say no really quickly and still get the same information across. Like, I also do this. I definitely ham it up every time. But, like, y- you saying no quickly almost makes them doubt whether you really do. I know. Yeah. It's just 
it's just mind games of, it is of mind this games. question. But I, of it, a very limited poker analogy, which is, do I have a card or not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's just, uh, and it is one of the most enjoyable parts of the game. One of the most social parts of the game is like, we are gearing up for battle and I have a very important question to ask you. Do you have a surprise? <laughs> because I'm asking if you have a surprise, so I'm not surprised by it. And they're like, I don't know if I have a surprise. <laughs> I've gotten into the habit now of saying, what clearing are we in? Oh, rabbit. Uh, No, I don't. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, yeah. I might so have a mouse like, or a box. Right? Yeah. yeah, that's fun. I've been practicing my um my like pro gamer just like um really clear and direct and like kind of quick but just efficient just uh no go ahead Oh that's good <laughs> Kyle that's good That's clearly rehearsed that's really good I uh, hear I want to try one I want to try one here we go Uh no go ahead Oh I believe you have an ambush Yeah see <laughs> see the thing wow. is, you can't tell. Yeah. It's such a minimum of information. Yeah. All right, Jake, hit us with it. Do you have an ambush? No, go ahead. Ooh. Mm, see, I, I, I sensed a touch of disappointment. Yeah, it was good. Which makes me think that you don't have an ambush. Mm-hmm. But then that makes me think that maybe you do have an ambush. <laughs> <laughs> well... Some things can't be written in stone, you know? Some things will always be unknowable and vague about whether who has an ambush and where it is and in what clearing. Hey, wait a minute. Did you just get these tablets from Michael's? Yes. I... <laughs> hey, these are foam. Yeah, yeah, they are foam. Well, it was it was after Halloween, so like tombs, stones kind of make good tablets, and those are very cheap at the moment. The only way you could carry 27 of them to this meeting. <laughs> I have a wagon. Um, yeah, all right. Uh, that's all we got on the 27 commandments of Root. Hopefully now you've got these like kind of rules in your head. I hope this was helpful of like just kind of keeping the game balanced, kind of the unspoken edges of the game and trying to uh, find the rest of the game within these 27 restrictions. That's right. Walk the path of righteousness or else. <laughs> Unless, of course... You are going to try and cause a schism and like become like a reformed tinkerist or something, and you have your own beliefs, which we're very eager to hear about. I don't know. I'm eager to know if, like, in a year from now, in season four of whatever we're on in this podcast, if we like review these, will the commandments have changed because God's will has changed? I got to imagine there's going to be something about the badgers in yeah. here. And yeah, um, yeah, we, did, we didn't really talk much about them today. Huh? I don't know. I, I can't write in stone something. Maybe they stole the tablets that had the stuff about them written on it. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think we're still figuring out a lot of that stuff. And here we go. The winter tournament is happening. So like, yeah. we're going to be seeing all of this kind of play out in real time now. So very all exciting. Right. I do look forward to the, the kind of Martin Luther moment of, uh, know creating some kind of like new branch of the root commandments uh the the new school um this also makes me think that like you know how martin is like a like a little rodenty animal be (laughs) funny if there was like a a faction of heretics called martins (laughs) (laughs) all right but yes anyway take these as the one the only true gospel of roots yeah yeah there's a law that got updated well we've got the commandments updated here (laughs) that's right this is natural law baby and uh we'll be back next week with our 
versus the Woodland Alliance Guide. Ooh, where we just tell you yes. that just leave them alone. They'll be fine. I. It's just going to be <laughs> me screaming. It's just going to be like, go! Oh, I hate it so much. It's not as threatening. They'll be okay. It's Let not threatening. It. It's just, it's annoying. Like, every, they take my cards, Jake. They take my cards. You mean you give them your cards? No. By breaking up their meetings? No. I just wanted to move there. By by shoving over their signs. <laughs> they're, they're, they weren't hammered in well. <laughs> Hey, these signs from Michael's? <laughs> <laughs> uh, our swords are made of foam. What is this? <laughs> all right. Well, if uh, if anyone has discovered any other commandments in the woods, by all means, share them with us on the uh, Woodland War Machine channel on the Good Time Society Discord. Um, we are actively uh, on the path to creating some Patreon-only content. Ooh. So... Keep a furry ear uh, to the ground about uh, further Patreon content. Yeah. Sorry, that, that metaphor didn't work. Hey, well. no, I was with it. Nope, nope. I, I, I'm on board. Yeah. That was by, that was like top five metaphors we used this episode. <laughs> yeah, there's been some clunky ones. <laughs> yeah, it was a low bar. <laughs> well, I think there actually is a 28th potential commandment <laughs> that one of the heretics... Might have come up with, which is the next time you go into a craft store, you know what you need to start chanting? Root! Root!